Welcome to the Dildorks, dorky discourse on sex, dating, and masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I was a theater kid, so I like role play. Who are you, friend? I'm Billy. I am a sex educator and porn maker, and I do... Role play probably makes up the most kink that I do, and I always forget it. To like list it as a thing that like as a kink that I'm into, because <laughs> mm, it's more of like a zoomed out like way of doing kink for you almost. It seems like yeah, yeah, and like frankly, I feel like that's true for a lot of people. Like I, I want to get into that in a minute, but first I want to ask you um, when I mentioned doing an episode on role play and like broadly on all the types of role play, like all the ways we role play in kink or whatever, uh, you said you had just been having a conversation with MB about this. So I was curious to hear more about what like you were talking about before we dig into things. Yeah. um, I was just spending some time with my spouse while they were visiting and Mm -hmm. they were doing a lot of like daddy dom shit for me because they are my daddy dom. And I forget what Mm -hmm. exactly it was that they did that prompted this, but I was like, just thank you so much for like being my actual daddy dom and like actually taking care of me um, Mm -hmm. in ways that like, you know, actually matter to me and help me. And they were like, I can't imagine doing it any other way. And we were talking about this past partner of mine who was my daddy dom, but who like in other areas of our relationship was just like dismissive or like inattentive or like just Mm -hmm. didn't seem that interested in you know, how I was doing on a day-to-day level, but then, like, very much wanted to be the daddy-dom type of person in the bedroom and in certain out-the-bedroom situations. Mm -hmm. And it just created, like, a deep sense of, like, lack of safety for me, which is the exact Mm -hmm. opposite of what I'm hoping to get largely out of a DDLG dynamic. Mm -hmm. And uh, MB and I were talking about how, like, the way that they do daddy-doming is, like all inclusive like they just Mm -hmm. they can't see it as a role play that is only limited to one area even though there are people who do it that way uh Mm -hmm. because for them like part of daddying is just like caring about my well-being in like a much broader way and I was like that's what I want and that's not always something that I knew that I wanted but Mm -hmm. uh it just feels so much safer and I'm so much happier than I was in that previous relationship Mm-hmm. And so for them, it's more a role that they like to embody like full time in your relationship. And they see like, I don't know, that role as influencing like large parts of your relationship, it feels like, rather than just a thing they put on and off, they turn on and off. Yeah. And I think that it's like, it's a pretty difficult thing to talk about because, like, in some sense, yeah, it is a role. We're essentially role playing because they're not mm-hmm. literally my daddy or my dad, like, we know this. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it is a name we give to a certain role that is, like, a real role. Like, in this, mm-hmm. in a similar way to, like, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. Like, these are names we give to certain roles that may have certain uh, connotations or responsibilities attached to them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you can sometimes feel a little bit like you're playing dress-up or, like, playing pretend in certain situations, but like if you're showing up and playing the role in the way that you've agreed to day after day, like basically you are that thing. Yeah. I think, I think this is interesting. It was getting to one of the first things I wanted to like kind of dig into with this. I don't hear a ton of people calling the thing they're into role play. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the word feels trivialized in kink. It Mm -hmm. feels as if it almost has this connotation of make-believe or of cheesy, poorly acted, campy, like, kind of games and Mm -hmm. things that, like, normies trying to spice things up play. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's the cluster of vibes I get around the word role play. Mm-hmm. Yet, this is not my experience of it and a great many other kinksters that I play with, like, the things that we do in kink inhabit deciding a role and stepping into it and playing that role. It, 
whether it is in this scene or in this relationship or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it feels like role play permeates a lot of kink, but we don't talk about it that way. And when we do, it feels dismissive or trivialized. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I have so many thoughts about this. It's actually so funny that you bring this up because I was just watching this whole video game essay Mm. video essay thing about Mm -hmm. role-playing games and how Mm. it's such an ill-defined term in the game Mm -hmm. space because some people take it to mean a game where there's like a degree of social interaction whereas like some people view it in a more zoomed out way and it's just like if you're playing a character who is not you you are essentially Mm role-playing so it's like it's really difficult to define um and similarly i was just reading this essay by clementine morrigan about how in straight cishet like dating culture um Mm -hmm. men are like sort of assigned the role of top and women are assigned Mm -hmm. the role of bottom like implicitly and they don't even know that they're topping and bottoming they don't know like necessarily what those terms mean or Mm -hmm. what you know roles and responsibilities are reflected in those roles Mm -hmm. and i think that that has a lot to do with why role play is sort of like one of the go-to recommendations for vanilla people and especially cishet vanilla people who mm-hmm. are like wanting to spice things up or venture into kink because like essentially I think in sex like many of us are playing some degree of a role like all the time it's just is the role you're playing the one that's like societally normalized for who you are Mm -hmm. or is it something a bit more creative or a bit more unique Mm -hmm. and so I think that when we tell people who are just starting out with kink like yeah you could try a role play like you could be a doctor or a nurse or Mm -hmm. like a student and a professor like I think that that's really almost just sort of like training wheels for the general bigger idea that Mm -hmm. you can take on an energy or a persona or Um, a series of actions in a sex scene or in your sex life that is not necessarily in step with who you are in real life. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's like a much more pervasive idea in a lot of people's sex lives than just like the sort of smaller term role play would lead you to believe. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I want to talk a little bit. So you mentioned being a theater kid and we've kind of like touched on this a little bit so far. Um, I had this tagged for later, but I want to jump ahead and talk a little bit about performance and acting in role play. Um, I'm curious, like what your experience in kink and you're, you're a theater kid, you have a huge background in improv. How often do those things feel similar in the moment? How often do they feel distinct? And like, what does it feel like when they feel similar? Are you suddenly working and, oh, God, this needs to stop feeling like improv? Or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It makes me think of when I was in high school, I had a friend who was much more involved in like the acting side of things uh, than mm-hmm. I was. And she was taking uh, a drama class in like 10th or 11th grade. And the teacher was explaining like, Sometimes when you're really in the headspace of that character, you can even like feel the emotions that they're feeling and those emotions will come out. And my friend was like, uh, yeah, like that's yeah. what acting is. Like, are is everybody else like not doing that? Um, and I think that, that really points to like, there are people who think that acting has to mean putting on something that you're not really feeling. And I think if you mm-hmm. talk to most actors, almost all actors probably, they would tell you, no, like I, I have to actually be feeling what I'm right. portraying. Like I, there, I, there's no other way that I know to do it. Like maybe you're not feeling it as deeply as you would if it was literally happening to you, but you're feeling a version of it. And right. so this kind of speaks to my thesis on like performativity and sex, which is that like, I think that performativity and authenticity are not necessarily opposites. I think that Mm -hmm. they can exist in the same moment. And um, like when I think of my own sort of like roles or characters who I tend to return to in role plays or in kink or in sex, I'm kind of reminded of like some of my favorite improvisers who I like to see perform where like, if you see the same improv troupe perform many times, 
you'll see that certain people have sort of like stock characters that they return to and it's just sort of like shorthand and these are helpful for them but as well as like for their teammates who will see Mm -hmm. like you know I see Sebastian doing that sort of like smarmy guy character and I know who I'm kind of supposed to be in relation to that I know that Mm -hmm. like maybe he's gonna flirt with me or maybe he's gonna think he's better than me but whatever it like communicates something Mm -hmm. um and because he's played that type of character many times before he can step into that even if it's sort of like last time he was a doctor and this time he's a pickup artist or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And similarly, like I have certain archetypal roles in my sex life that I play a lot. Probably the most common for me right now and for the past few years is like this sort of subby, playful little girl type of role. Mm -hmm. And that's a character who's like very much influenced by media models of little girls. I've seen like Veruca Salt, we've talked about a lot before and like just Mm -hmm. also the younger versions of myself uh, who I Mm -hmm. remember being. And when I'm doing it, like I both am and am not aware that I'm doing a character. Like I'm definitely aware Mm -hmm. that I don't sound how I normally would sound, but it also just feels really natural. Like it's just how I am in that environment with that particular partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly, like I have other sort of archetypal roles that I might step into if I'm feeling more dominant or, you know, sometimes if I'm feeling submissive, but not in a little girl kind of way. Mm -hmm. And those I've just done those enough and have enough of a sense of like who those characters are and where they reside within me that it doesn't really feel like I'm like putting on something, um, putting on a costume or a mask. And like I do think there's a place for that, though. Like I think that there are lots of people, myself sometimes included, who enjoy playing a character that very much feels like a character. Like there is something fun about that. But I will say, like, for me, I tend to feel more comfortable in characters that feel more natural to me, whether that's Mm -hmm. just because I've, like, done them a lot or just because they sort of just got closer to myself. Yeah. Um, When Dee and I play, we have our version, like, our roleplay characters that we step into a lot, and we'll get into that in a little bit, are much more separate from us than I think your little girl little girl persona is. There's mm-hmm. is an alien and mine is a robot generally. Mm-hmm. Um so or at least lately. Um so like there is definitely more of a step away from even humanness, but like the the thing that I am. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'm acting like a robot and he feels like acting and mm-hmm. um that's also part of like when it feels like acting that doesn't feel inauthentic that feels like the game i came to this for mm-hmm. like sometimes i am coming to this for uh especially if i am role playing as something very separate from me part of the fun is the puzzle of what would that character do in this situation it's like an extra little thing for me to as we've mentioned i have adhd and my brain is thinking about six thousand things at once so if i give it enough little fidgets and little things to chew on and think about it keeps mm-hmm. me more in the moment mm-hmm. right so if i'm thinking about what am I doing in this moment? Who knows? But if I am an alien and that, it, or if I'm a robot and that robot believes XYZ things, what would that robot do in this scenario with that alien who also acts these ways? Hmm. Right? It's, it's so many more moving pieces to keep me in the room and keep me thinking about what is happening that, like, I don't know. Yeah, sex just got stimmier. Sex just became a little bit of a <laughs> word puzzle and a riddle, right? Like, the fun thing about being a robot is sometimes I'll be like, all right. I want to communicate, that's overwhelming. But uh, because of the role play, my sensors are down and I have to talk about how I'm receiving an excessive amount of input in these particular sensors. <laughs> like, I don't know, it's fun. It's a layer of like gameplay mechanic, essentially, on top of the sex I'm having. <laughs> um, and that's not always how I do it, um, but it is fun. And in the times when I am being like, more of a human thing, more of maybe me, but I've been in captivity for six weeks, or me, but I'm in a scary lab, or, you know, whatever. Um, Even those feel reminiscent of acting, but in the way that you talked about, where, like, I'm not thinking, how would I act if I was trapped in a cage for six weeks? Right. I am thinking 
as vividly and detailed as I can, and I have a very vivid imagination, it turns out, um, <laughs> what would it feel like to right. be in that cage for six? What would I be feeling? What would I be thinking? What kind of things would I worry about, right? And if I can sit in that and just mull over the possibilities of that mm-hmm. for like five minutes, I can start to kind of feel those things and like put myself in that place and act in the ways I would feel like the shadow of all these feelings, right? All those things you just talked about. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I don't know. That is also how I would act. That is also, this is when I was, t- you know, eight, 10, 12, I did this in the backyard playing Batman with all my clothes on. Now I'm doing it naked. Like it's not, it's not all that different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, pings the same parts of my brain that are like woo we get to focus on solving fake problems and (laughs) playing fun puzzles and not worrying about reality that's so interesting to me what you said about like the mental task of having to figure out like what would this character do in this situation and how that kind of occupies your brain in a pleasing way because that made me Mm -hmm. think about how like because of how my anxiety manifests, I actually spend so much time that I'm having sex in or out of role going like, what What would a person do in this situation? <laughs> like, what, what should mm-hmm. I be doing right now? Even though, like, you know, I'm really comfortable with my partner and I've had sex a lot of times, not to brag, but like, <laughs> I have some experience, but it's like, there's, it doesn't happen all the time with partners I know well, but like, I would say with partners I don't know as well, or when I'm feeling particularly anxious, a lot of my brain power is going to like, Am I in the right position right now? Should I be making more faces? Should I be making more noises? Uh, does this person want me to be more active, more passive? And so I think for me, I maybe appreciate a role that is closer to me or that has sort of less going on mentally, like a sort of simplistic little girl, because mm-hmm. that makes me less less forced to think about, like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, yeah. But yeah, I agree with you about like finding an emotional anchor for a situation because like, yeah, even if you haven't been trapped in a cage for six days before, maybe you have had something that has like a glimmer of that feeling and it happened to you at some point before, such as going through the (laughs) COVID-19 pandemic. And so you can kind of relate that to what you're doing. Exactly. Or even just what does stuck feel like? What does stuck feel like? Let me sit in that feeling of stuck and turn it up, right? Like I can, I'm... It's very good at creating an internal experience in my own head. So, like, a lot of it is just, yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of what is fun for that for me. And even, like, when you're talking about thinking about what I should be doing in the moment or whatever, I think there is also a little bit of freedom in doesn't matter what I should be doing and it does like the script of what good sex like god that's that's fucking huge the script of what a robot might do when you're touching its charging port and it's not used to being touched in that way is a much smaller (laughs) thing where that robot's like I don't quite know how to process this information right like and you get like a much narrower window of reasonable output Mm -hmm. To continue the robot (laughs) metaphor, I guess. Um, So I think I actually might also find some comfort in like, I like having lots of possibilities of things to think about, but they also kind of live in these little fenced in cages of like, Mm -hmm. rather than just I could be doing anything. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that reminds me of sometimes when I go to parties or events that I'm really nervous about I'll just pretend Mm. to be like a a celebrity or somebody who I think is very confident and for me usually that's Amanda Palmer which is like sort of odd because like I definitely don't agree with everything Amanda Palmer has said or done (laughs) I think sometimes she's a bit over the top and a bit much and a bit thoughtless sometimes but like in terms of sheer confidence she's Mm -hmm. like the icon in my head like I'm always just like walking into the party like what would Amanda Palmer do and there's something about that minor adjustment that like if it was me I would go oh no like people are gonna think I'm so weird because I clearly look like this very shy and awkward person and I'm gonna be attempting to start a conversation and they're gonna be able to tell instantly that I don't normally do this and that I'm a weird shy girl who's just like trying to do something but if I'm trying to be Amanda I'm like it's not weird at all I do this all the time (laughs) it just feels so much better (laughs) And what I love about that 
is that the reality of if you walked up to someone with that level of confidence and they did be like, <laughs> uh, excuse me, you're a shy girl. Why are you this? Bre-? And you were like, no, <clears throat> I'm pretending to be Amanda Palmer right now. That would not make it better. Like that would not, that would not make it a more normal situation. <laughs> but <laughs> I love that that could totally work because that would totally work in my head too. Like, but like, no, no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being cool right now. You don't understand. Um, <laughs> so but, much of dealing with shyness and anxiety is just about tricking your own brain and finding numerous different creative ways to do that in any given situation. Yeah. Um, there is a song called Disco in the Panic Room that has a line, if I look brave, I'm secretly pretending to be a different me, the one who uh, claps and dances and sings and laughs and shouts and basically whatever. But it's basically, but the bit that was coming in my head was, uh, if I look brave, I'm pretending to be a different me, which mm-hmm. like just very rings true and goes on to describe the version of him on stage essentially. And I'm like, hey, I can also turn on the stage me. Um, yeah. But that is also what that reminded me of. There's very much a like, no, if I need my extrovert persona, I can put that on. Yeah, I'm, I'm not to get too philosophical, but like this does kind of make me think about how it might be a myth that we truly have a most true and authentic self. Um, oh, yeah. This is a trippy thought. I'm not even high. It's, it's like <laughs> 1230 in the afternoon. Um, yeah, I just think that if you're honest with yourself and maybe my, you know, experiences of being a socially anxious person have, have colored this for me. But like, I think if you're really honest with yourself, you you know that like even amongst friends who you feel or partners who you feel really comfortable with, there are different sides of you that come out in different situations or around different people. And like, you can feel like that's really true to who you are and really reflective of like your real self, but it can still be slightly different. And I just think that that's sort of how humans are. We're sort of prismatic in that way. Right. Exactly. And speaking as an anxious person, a person probably autistic and does a lot of masking. Um, I similarly am like, maybe this is my lived experience, but um, mm. no, I, I think it's entirely reasonable to have different facets of yourself that show up in different places. And I also think that is the value of having different relationships in your life to bring yeah. out different parts. Of, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think I should be able to be all versions of me with all people in my life. Mm-hmm. I, they're just, they're just not good. Like, uh, you know, if my partner has ADHD, you don't. When I talk about ADHD things with them, they understand it differently than you do, right? Mm-hmm. But that is not, you know? So, like, I think it makes sense that there are different facets and things. And then again, I come to you when I'm like, the ADHD brains are doing this thing. Is this weird? Can I, can I have a neurotypical check on this? <laughs> like, or at yeah. least that flavor of neurotypical check on this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, all that. I want to bring us back because we've alluded a couple times about um, the different characters that we come to and revisit over time. And I'll talk like practically, what did character creation for lack of a better term look like right like you said where they're inspired from but did you like sit down and game out what little girl you looked like have you just found out through trying it on over the past three years what it looked like you know somewhere in between Mm -hmm. yeah i want to clarify so i don't get arrested or canceled here i'm not uh i'm not looking at little girls in media and being like what would they be like during sex um (laughs) Because that's, that's just not – someone got mad at me one time because I wrote a, a blog post about, like, if Wednesday Adams was grown up, like, what would be in her sex toy drawer? And they were like, mm-hmm. you're not sexualizing Pugsley in the same way. And I was like, I don't find Pugsley as interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. So I just want to say I'm, like, not trying to sexualize little girls. I'm not sexually attracted to little girls. Like, none of that shit. It's really just about, like – figuring out what side of my personality I want to access and display. And Mm -hmm. I think that I do that through media depictions in like a lot of areas of life, like a lot of how I know how to sort of like talk like a confident millennial woman just comes from like different, you know, media depictions of like both Mm -hmm. real people and fictional characters who are like that. And I think most people are sort of like cobbled together in that way, even if it's from like Mm -hmm. people they know in real life. And so I would say like when I'm hearing myself talk in that sort of submissive little girl role, I'm hearing a lot of things, including like influences from video, like home videos of me when I was actually a little girl. Like I, Mm -hmm. I've watched those videos 
a lot of times because they're cute and I enjoy watching like old videos with my family and stuff. And so like those inflections are just kind of in my head. And Mm -hmm. similarly, there's other like young girls who I've like seen in different places who just like embody for me like sort of this like cuteness and innocence that I find really beautiful about that role. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be really clear that for me that's like it honestly is very separate from the sexual piece. Like there's Mm -hmm. so much about DDLG that for me is just about sort of like that psychological freedom of being small and like, yeah, sex can happen in that space, but it's like, they're not completely separate, but they're definitely not overlapping uh, all that much um, Mm -hmm. in my head. Anyway, I think a lot of it also reminds me of improv in that, you find the most fun things for you through like trial and error and just like Mm -hmm. seeing what's fun. And like, it's been interesting for me to watch this develop in my relationship with my partner on the, on the side of our relationship where I'm more dominant and they're more submissive, um, Mm -hmm. which usually happens while they're in chastity because I never really had a dominant persona that much before this relationship. Like, it wasn't something I'd explored all that much. And like when I had, I always felt like I was like putting on this like dominatrix costume of this like very mm-hmm. traditional sort of femdom thing that like I didn't really feel like it fit me. Like I felt like I was putting on high heels that were like three sizes too big for me. It just wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. And it's been fun to sort of see like in this relationship, like not only what aspects of dominance feel good for me, but also like what aspects like push their buttons and like work with their kind of like personas that they take on in a subby role. Mm -hmm. which is going to be different from relationship to relationship. And I think that in finding my dominant persona, I've actually thought a lot about girls who bullied me in the eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) And this is kind of where it starts to link up with the idea of kink potentially being healing. Like Mm -hmm. I've been doing all this work in trauma therapy and a lot of the current research on trauma therapy shows that what works is not so much like talking about things and being self-aware about your patterns and whatnot, but like actually returning to those feelings, returning to those head spaces and like creating a more healthy response to those or creating what feels like a new experience that has mm-hmm. a happier ending than what happened to you before. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of those memories from eighth grade that I just like block out because they're honestly fucking traumatic. There's homophobic mm-hmm. bullying. There was just like general bullying. Um, and there's something about like returning to those experiences by trying to put myself in that person's shoes of that bully and mm-hmm. seeing like how it could actually feel powerful and pleasurable to have that degree of power, but also transformative mm-hmm. in that I know I'm doing it consensually. Like mm-hmm. I know that I'm not like bullying someone who secretly is gonna go to the bathroom and eat lunch by themselves and cry like it's just not (laughs) that type of situation I'm creating a new way of embodying that energy that is consensual and not abusive Um, and it really feels healing for me like I don't know how it comes across to my partner but like when I'm saying things that that bully definitely would have said and like just being mean in the way that she was mean it's mm-hmm. it's really empowering. It's like, whoa, like this does not have to be an evil tool. It was just yeah. a tool used evilly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like that dominant persona was a bit more thoughtfully crafted than the little girl one, which it feels like more you observed what works as you fell into something that was fairly comfortable and that you've always like kind of felt drawn to. Whereas the other stuff, it was more a matter of trying things on till it fit. Does that sound right? Yeah. Cause I think that I, I feel like a lot of the more traditional femdom archetypes I was playing with before were coming from a place of like, I'm going to be mean to you because I know how much you like when I'm mean to you mm-hmm. uh, or mm-hmm. I know like or I know how much you hate it when I'm mean to you. And it would just mm-hmm. be like you you useless worm like you don't you're not worthy to lick my boots or whatever. And I feel like there's something about the eighth grade bully dominant persona that is more like I'm going to be mean to you because it fucking makes me laugh and feels good. <laughs> like it just entertains mm-hmm. me. Um And there's just a lot more giggling, which I think is just so much more natural to my style of doing things. And Mm -hmm. it's been really hard for me to or it was initially really hard for me to find like what inherent 
pleasure I got out of dominating. Like that was much Mm -hmm. more of a a difficult thing for me to figure out than about submitting. Mm -hmm. But once I started leaning into like, I'm just going to follow what feels good for me as long as it's within the bounds of what we've agreed is, uh, is okay. And a lot of times that's like low key bullying, like just like making fun of them, like just mocking them, giggling at them, laughing at them, which are all Mm -hmm. things that I've had to suppress for so many years because I didn't want to be like that bully. And every time that side of me came out, I would be like, fuck, I'm being like that bully. This fucking sucks. I'm so sorry. Um, Mm. That's the total opposite of how I want to live my life. Uh, so to have this small container for it where I can do it in a healthy and sensual way is just like awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How much of developing this character has been explicit? Like I, either or both characters, like do you and MB sit around and say like, what is the little girl you look and act like, or what does this bratty bully you look and act and feel like? Or is it more of an internal process that like the bit that gets shared is seeing the role being played, you know? Mm-hmm. God, you're really coming at me with these great <laughs> questions this episode. Um, I think that for us, like there, for me, at least there was not really a strong element of like, what would this character look like? Um, mm-hmm. Because we do so much of our stuff via the phone. So mm. it was so much more about like how does this character sound and how do they talk and how do right. they interact and like what motivates them. And I think that's something really unlocked for me when we started having conversations about the humiliation side of things, mm-hmm. which was something I'd always stayed away from as a bottom. Mm-hmm. I'm very easily triggered by that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of people are, but like I wasn't triggered by it in a way that felt exciting also <laughs> in the way that some people are. Um, and mm-hmm. so I, because I was so terrified of it as a bottom, I just like really stayed away from it as a top for the most part. And mm-hmm. especially I would notice that if I ever did say something that was like a little embarrassing or mean that they would like whimper or like their mm-hmm. face would kind of fall in a way that like immediately I was like, oh, fuck, sorry. No, I didn't mean that. Sorry. Um, but when we had more conversations about it, I came to realize like that whimpering and like their face falling was actually like them having a twinge of like arousal in the way that people right. do when they're into being humiliated. And yeah. we talked about it more. They were like, no, I actually really like when you do that. And we talked about like, I think we both read Enough to Make You Blush by Princess Callie, mm-hmm. which is like the best text on erotic humiliation I've ever found. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about like what things are okay to insult or make fun of and what are not. And I kind of started to realize as I tried it, like there is this part of me that likes to be mean to people and make fun of them. I just hate the memories from my past when I was doing that unchecked without caring what other people thought about it. Like I, you know, right. I've had, I had a, like a, a serious friendship and over that and when I was much younger and that kind of made me zoom out and, and look at my life and be like, I don't want to fucking be that person. That sucks. I don't want to reproduce the bullying that I went through just cause I like feel bad about myself. Like that's not acceptable to me. Right. And so I did so much work to not be like that anymore, but there is still a part of me that like, that feels powerful like that feels mm-hmm. empowering to to be able to make fun of somebody but i just yeah. only want to do it in ways that that people are into and so right. yeah i don't know kink is alchemy yeah yeah and it sounds like a lot of your like discussion has been like i don't know it it sounds like a lot of your character building also overlaps with just like kink negotiation like what turns you on and things mm-hmm. um and, like, a thing that D and I have found a lot of fun in, um, and again, because our, ca- like, the characters we're playing most often lately are so much more divorced from who we are. Mm-hmm. Like, they do feel like facets of us, certainly. Um, and frankly, I think both of us, like, it a little bit encapsulates the probably related to autism but just generally like uh out of society kind of like the i don't know the weird gremlin-y behaviors that we like to have all the things that make us we quote unquote weird Mm -hmm. that we often have to like repress under masking and things they're the it is this little like container for us to just 
I can just be robotic and long-winded and not have to be overly emotional about things and overly expressive about things and can just be really critical, right? Like, they can just be a weird little alien that's curious about the world and doesn't have to act like a person, right? So they are, like, little facets of us that we have complicated feelings about in the rest of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, I'm not a robot. Like, I – we don't (laughs) – If there are aliens, we don't know enough details about them to accurately portray an alien, right? Um, So we are creating these, like, totally separate things. So, like, in addition to the sex and the role plays we have, we also will often just have conversations either before a scene or just like booping around making dinner or something be like you know i was thinking about the alien it'd be really (laughs) hot if this thing was true about the alien (laughs) and like we have fleshed out like lore about the alien (laughs) species right and like enough that we have facts that are in conflict sometimes so we're like oh this time this one's true and this other time we're playing this version of it right 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 But we have fleshed out enough, like, different ideas and versions of things and, like, oh, well, um, uh, you know, well, what if this race that we've talked about the way hunger – okay, this is going to get really stupid sex nerdy. Um, (laughs) Hunger is a drive for humans. We feel bad if we don't eat, but sex is – the opposite of a drive it is the thing that we just we we are compelled towards it but we don't we won't die without it right right all nagaski work whatever what if there was an alien species where that was flipped Hmm. um how would that change their society how would that change where they relate things how would they relate to humans who work the other way around and how do we swap and how do we like weave vor stuff into that if that's fun (laughs) right this Um, is so nerdy i love this (laughs) right yeah like we will play with like all right well what if this alien ne- has never experienced penetration. That's just not the kind of sex they have. But then I fist you. What would that alien be going through to have a thing suddenly inside? Like, right? Yeah. So we like take the it, in the same way I was talking about earlier about how it is just stimmy to be curious and imaginative about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we will do that sometimes outside of it and just like. I don't know. Yeah. What do we, what does the arc of this alien's life look like? Like, cause sometimes we'll be like, oh, this alien has been hanging out with a human boy for a while and they're pets or, oh, this is the first day they met or, oh, this is, so we like, I don't know, jumped it through timelines and jumped through versions of things, but there is something, yes, it's horny and fun and kinky and we can weave in whatever like kink if we want to play with power if we want to play with pain if we want to play with like vor stuff if we want to play like whatever we can weave that into the story but there is also just something that pings the game button of my head like a D campaign or like a video game or like writing a fiction novel or you know like mm-hmm. it is just It lets me incorporate the creativity and the imagination and the curiosity into the sex that I'm having, um, which frankly is often what I come to kink for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I rarely have sex without at least some sort of that kind of role play in it. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, it's so like, it's also so often I forget to think of it as like, kink sometimes I, like <laughs> yeah. which i think i don't know is interesting yeah i mean that really plays into the sort of commonly said thing that sex and particularly kink are adult playtime like that's mm-hmm. when you can do your sort of play pretend games and mm-hmm. it also brings up for me that if you're looking to deepen your role play or even if you like haven't done that much role play and you're interested in trying it, like you could look at exercises that actors do for character mm. building. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many out there and like a lot of them sound really sort of like cheesy and like Stanislavski shit, but like mm-hmm. there's, they're really fun. I was just reading um, this novel by Monica Heisey who um, sort of wrote a novel about going through a divorce, but it's like very based on her own divorce, but she wanted Mm. to differentiate the character from herself. And so she started writing these lists that were like 
Google searches that this woman did at 3 a.m. or like <laughs> um, list of reasons why these characters broke up. And they're like these funny lists that ended up being in the book, but they were also for her like sort of character building exercises to define like how this character differs from her and like flesh out that character more in her own head. And I think there's lots of stuff you can do. Like you could go the more structured route in terms of like actual Stanislavski exercises or that type of thing, but you could also just like make lists or like write a journal entry as this character or like have a text conversation with your partner in character and build stuff that way i've definitely had um for like more elaborate scenes um d has written journal entries in character and had me read them and things Mm -hmm. um which is like a really fun way to kind of get into that character and we do usually have like 10 minutes in separate rooms before we start playing where we like that's a really good idea yeah in character um, cause it's really hard to be sitting across from someone and be like, and you're an alien, right? <laughs> but like they go into the other room and we both sit and be that guy alone for a little while and just like ease into like, no, I'm, I sit this way. Oh, but the, but the robot's going to sit a little bit stiffer. The robot's going to sit. Uh-huh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. and he was probably just left like this, or maybe he was left sprawled out, right? Like, <laughs> and like spending a few minutes just thinking about that and then they appear and we're able to like lean into it a little bit more. Yeah, that reminds me of exercises I did in improv and in drama class where you build a character from the outside in as in you mm. start with the character's physicality and then you go what kind of character walks like this or sits like this or has a facial expression like this and like an easy way that we would sometimes do it is like pick a random body part while you're walking around the room and lead with that body part whether Mm. it's your nose or your pelvis or uh or your shoulders or whatever and it's like as soon as you start doing the physicality that is like quite different from your normal physicality you will start to kind of feel like this is a slightly different person who i'm embodying Mm -hmm. and you can think about like how that relates to the the type of personality you want that person to have yeah i've i mean we've kind of done that version uh the kink version of that in like often even if we don't set up a role play beforehand because d and i both have the very imaginative brains that we do we will like either in the middle of a scene or afterwards be like so what were you imagining and more often than not frankly we wind up in similar things like I started thinking about this and this or like sometimes we'll be like well when we started I was thinking that like you know uh, I was an older bully sneaking into your room while you were like you know whatever but about midway through I think I became the alien and I will be like you definitely became the alien I saw when you bit my neck right and they're like yeah I don't know you made a sound and you were the alien yeah Mm -hmm. so like we definitely Sometimes we sit down and we spend 15, 20 minutes getting turned on talking about like what we're going to be and then we go and disappear. Sometimes we're halfway through fucking and we're like, oh, we were both imagining a thing too because we just, that just keeps us here, huh? We just, we just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, that, I don't know, also speaks to my experience in kink. I know you've meant like, so I talked about, because I'm a nerd, that we have these like, arcs and things for our characters when you're revisiting your like role plays do they i don't know ever reference each other do you ever have like this happened after that scene we played the other night or are they so close to you and your relationship that they just exist in the timeline of your relationship you know what i mean yeah i don't think we do that as much as you two do i think it is just because like the roles that we play most often are much closer to ourselves. And mm-hmm. also when we do deviate from that and do something a little bit more episodic, um, usually there's like a specific interaction that turns mm-hmm. us both on that we may want to repeat several different times in different scenes. Like, you know, mm-hmm. students in trouble needs to be punished by the teacher or like, daddy's going to teach little one about her body or um often like they're a sex worker and they've been hired to please me or like they're a young acolyte and i'm the goddess who they're going to worship Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like it tends to be sort of like one central action that we like to return to. I don't mm-hmm. know that we've ever done much in the way of like what you might call plot development. Um, mm-hmm. I'm open to it. I think that for me, I get a little bit stressed about doing role plays that are off the beaten path of what we normally do. Um, just because I am anxious and I'm like, oh, no, mm-hmm. like, am I going to do a good job? And so I think that for me at this point in my life, like it's a little more comforting to return to something that like I basically know how to do rather than like to try to evolve it. But I do hope to be with this person forever. Like we are married. So I imagine that things will evolve, which is going to be interesting to see. Yeah. And like, to be clear, we don't, when we don't do like heavy plot development, (laughs) however, it is sometimes like I will either like we move the timeline to play with, how the taboo sits and where that is, right? Mm. Is it the top's first time violating this particular taboo? And is the top nervous about it? Has the top been doing this for a while and the bottom is just conditioned to be fine with these things now, Mm. right? Is it, is this a rapport that they have for a minute, right? So like, I think moving the timeline is often to move like, how experienced are these two people in this dynamic mm-hmm. and wh- what are they nervous about and where do those nerves sit, right? Like, am I nervous because this is the first time this is ever happening or am I nervous because this has happened a lot of times and I know how it can end, mm-hmm. right? Like, even those are two different kinds of nerves. Yeah. So um, we, like, I think often when we're playing with timeline, that is, like, the knob we're twisting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also similarly in the way that it's kind of a brain fidget for me to be like, oh, I'm a robot. What if I said this in like a weird robot kind of way? And how can I make this sound like a computer report kind of thing? Yeah. Um, it is also sometimes a fun little brain fidget to, uh, make like callbacks or Easter eggs or like <laughs> I love inside that you said callbacks. It's, it's an improv <clears throat> term and it perfectly yeah. is well suited. Yeah, there's something about a callback that just like scratches an itch in your brain or just like gives you a hit of dopamine. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. And it's, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> exactly. Whether it is funny and amusing, whether it is jarring and hot and unsettling, right? Because you can even like oh, I didn't realize this, that story was a part of this story, but now it changes the story and oh, right? Like, right. Um, you know, if I like, if it was supposed to be a tops like first or second time, like trying a thing and I was like, I remember last time you did this and they're like, ah, oh God, you remembered what? Like, <laughs> it, it could, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. There is, it is just a fun little thing that we rarely do on purpose, but gives my brain that steamy pleasing thing mm-hmm. last thing i want to talk about and we've dabbled on this a little bit um but i'm i wanted to talk specifically about the headspaces we access through role play mm. and like ways it feels distinct from subspace or top space or versions of those or like do you experience different role play headspaces obviously topping and bottoming but you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like yeah I think for me a lot of the appeal of role play and I think this is true for a lot of people is the headspace Mm -hmm. that you can get into and I'm reminded Mm -hmm. of when I was on an improv team in high school and my coach at one point gave me the note that I was too often doing scenes where my storyline was I was romantically interested in someone and and sort of just mainly like pursuing them and that was kind of my my character's main arc and my Mm -hmm. coach was like you're doing a little too much of that like maybe try having different motivations more often and I I kind of realized in retrospect like I think part of why I was doing that first of all I had crushes on a lot of my teammates so that's part of it but also I just like like that headspace I just like feeling that way I like feeling crushy uh I liked stepping into that for the duration of a scene or a set and so that was coming up a lot I am just still laughing at the idea of someone giving you a note of if you could just have less crushes on people. It just, it just, I'm like, that's not an improv. That's just a, that's, like, yeah. Could, like that's a college Kate note. If you could have different, <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it's funny because like at that time, and also I would say even now, like due to 
some of my baggage and anxiety, whatever, I don't actually allow myself to be in that headspace as often as I might mm-hmm. like to, because there's mm-hmm. the part of me that sort of tamps it down and goes, well, they probably don't like you back or like you're being silly, you're acting like you're 12 um, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. you're being unchill, whatever. And I could just like fully step into it in an improv scene. Um, But I think like what that brings up for me is like, if you're not sure what kinds of role plays you want to do, think about what kinds of headspaces you want to feel and then kind Mm -hmm. of build it backward from there. I think that that's a perfectly valid way of doing that. And you might stumble across like different manifestations of those than you would otherwise have gotten to. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I will say like headspace is a big part of role play for me. I probably most often pick role plays like based on the headspace that I'm wanting to feel. And sometimes my partner and I will have a negotiation about that. Like they'll, they'll lately, especially they've been starting our pre-scene negotiations by asking me, how do you want to feel? Uh, mm-hmm. Which I think it probably comes from them being a Dildorks listener for so long <laughs> and hearing you say that so many times. Um, but it's just a really good question because even if I was to say like, I want to be spanked and to be fucked with a strap on and to have my hair pulled. It's like, well, how do you want to feel in that? Do you want to feel small and taken care of? Do you want to feel like that stuff is an act of service? Do you want to feel like you're being destroyed, ripped apart, taken? Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of different ways that that can be done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I think like most often for me when I'm asked that question, like before we have phone sex or before we have sex IRL, like how do you want to feel? Like there's sort of a few groups of things that tend to come up a lot for me. One of them is sort of like small subby taken care of, in which mm-hmm. case a little girl role might be the most appropriate. One of them is sort of like relaxed and worshipped. And there's like a lot of different manifestations of that that we like to mm-hmm. play with, especially with me on the more dominant side of things. Another one would be like a sort of more sadomasochistic, like torn apart, um, not punished, but like put through the ringer <laughs> emotionally mm-hmm. and physically, um, that kind of thing. And there's also a lot of manifestations of that. Um, so, yeah, I think that one of the things about sex and kink that is so beautiful that I didn't know when I was less experienced is that it's not always just about this singular goal of like the things that people talk about all the time with regards to sex, pleasure, intimacy, uh, release. You can set your own goals within it and find different ways of achieving those still within the realm of sex and kink. Like you can Mm -hmm. have your own feelings that you're looking to feel and places that you're looking to get to in your head. And it's just much more expansive than I ever could have imagined really yeah yeah i i definitely agree uh, for me the it is definitely distinct from the kinds of subspace i access through stuff that is very physical mm-hmm. um the kinds of subspace that i access through pain and even rope feel Slightly more chemical, I think, to me. They feel slightly more fuzzy and impaired to me. Um, Not in a, like, in a a good way and often what I'm going for, but more like I have imbibed an intoxicant, right? Like, more like there is something between me and reality that is, like, warping that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the headspaces I access through role play feel very much in my head. They feel more fleshed out and nuanced often. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they can contain more complexity of emotions and more complexity of, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, so I like, and they're not things that I do distinctly all the time. Like I can combine them, right? And I can access that like, physical subspacey feeling it's often through pain or rope but i can through getting fucked particularly rough or hard too mm-hmm. i can especially a spot stuff i think we talked about that a couple weeks ago the way yeah. it can like just turn my brain off in a particular kind of subby thing <laughs> yeah brain go bye bye yes yeah. um but i do like they do feel like variants of subspace and mm-hmm. like I I certainly like layering them, mm-hmm. but 
um, I do also like crave them differently too. Yeah. And, yeah. My issue that I run into a fair bit is because role play headspaces are a bit more cerebral, I tend to just sort of have a much harder time maintaining the role mm. once I get subspacey or once I get highly aroused and like nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Which is something that me and my partner have talked about a lot because, like, I feel a lot of guilt about it. Like, I'll t- I'll be talking more at the beginning of the role play, and then it'll just sort of like peter out. But mm-hmm. like for us, fortunately, it works okay because usually, regardless of role, I'm mostly bottoming and they're mostly topping. Like that's just kind of mm-hmm. our dynamic usually, especially for phone sex. Um, so it's usually okay. Like they're usually like, I don't really need you to like say a lot of stuff. Like I can say the stuff and sort of like hold frame. And like, as long as you're, you know, kind of in that universe mentally, like it'll be fine. And it is. Um, but also on that point, like people get really worried about, uh, you know, dropping out of character or giggling or getting distracted or whatever during role plays. And it's like, if you do, it's fine. Just you just go back to it. Totally fine. Not a big deal. Right, exactly. And I, I do sometimes lose it a little bit when I start to get spacey, but often if I am enough in character when I'm getting spacey, that character gets kind of spacey and mm-hmm. that character kind of loses words and things. And yeah. like, that's okay. But, and- Similarly, I'm also usually bottoming, so I also benefit from that as well. Right. Yeah, and I've had times when my partner, like, actually weaved it in. Like, for example, if we're doing, like, a sex worker and client role play and they're going down on me and I accidentally say daddy because that's what I call them in our dynamic, uh, they will sometimes be like, you know, as part of the service I offer, like, if you or were turned on by calling me daddy that's absolutely fine with me like I won't charge you extra for that or whatever like they'll like weave it in and make it make sense which I really Mm -hmm. appreciate because I get really embarrassed about stuff like that yeah yeah I think it's really great when you're able to do that and that reminds me of uh that thing that you can do in hypnosis as well where it is like ah I notice you're blinking this way it means (laughs) this thing or whatever right where you can just take what you're given and and run with it mm-hmm. um and it does like when i am role playing the like kind of headspace that i get into doesn't feel entirely dissimilar to things that i associate with like guided meditations and right. that sort of thing and the little bit of hypnosis that i have like dabbled in and etc like yeah. it is the same kind of like leaning into this very cerebral experience with whatever kind of layers we want to put on it. Um, and yeah. like, yeah, it, um, I think being able to take the things in your environment and like redirect them to support the internal experience you're shooting for, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Is going to help, kind of refocus things in that way that you were talking about. And that's funnily enough, also an improv thing where mm-hmm. like there are no mistakes. And my coach used to say, once it's said, it's so meaning, mm-hmm. for example, if I'm in a scene and someone calls me Susie and then two minutes later they call me Kathy, like we're gonna, we're gonna figure out a way to justify that, whether it's like, I'm a con woman, and I have two names, or like, you have amnesia, or like, something like that, where like, it actually does make sense. And it's actually when you see really good professional tier improvisers do this, like, it's some of my favorite moments in improv is seeing mistakes turn it so called mistakes turn into like, sometimes the best part of a scene, the funniest Mm -hmm. or weirdest thing that happens in the scene. And I think that that can be really wonderful in role play too. And also kind of like, takes the pressure off like what if I fuck up like it's fine Mm -hmm. the point is still pleasure and fun and all of that and you're not giving a performance to a giant theater full of people like it's gonna be okay right I and honestly the goal for me in going into a role play a is never to give a convincing enough performance to convince my partner of something like I never really feel like I'm performing for my partner I'm performing usually for me because it's the thing that feels good and fun for me to be Mm -hmm. like there is a degree of with them but like I don't know I also don't feel like they're performing for me they're performing the version of that that is hot for them to do like Mm -hmm. I talked about the you know 10-15 minutes we spend before a scene we are usually role-playing just 
for ourselves in the <laughs> rooms in those times. And like, we'll talk about what we did in those times. Like, yeah. so a, there is like, I have less pressure of that. And on that note, like shout out to solo role play. I feel like people yeah. don't know you can do this. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's sort of a, a wobbly line between what you might call solo role play and what you might call fantasizing. Um, I think right. they can fully overlap for sure. But like, if you feel like inhabiting a certain role, you can just do that in your head. You can just be like, oh, I'm a queen today or like whatever. Just, yeah, yeah that's what it's there for. There have definitely been times where I have just, I don't know, I, I do a lot of teenage age play type stuff. And there have been a lot of times where I've like, I don't know, got to put on a like fucking band t-shirt and sat in a beanbag chair playing video games and smoking and being like, oh, playing up this like teenage thing and then gone and jerked off and whatever. And like, yeah, that, rules. that like, I'm, you know, yeah, a dumb fucking teen, whatever the boy that I never got to be or whatever. <laughs> it's, I'm also just spending an afternoon the way I like spending an afternoon. But like, yeah, I can put that layer on it and yeah, it becomes a brain fidget. It's a fun thing. That's the other thing I was getting at that like, it is fun for me to look at the stuff and figure out how do I make this hot? How do I take that mistake and integrate it in? How do I like, they're puzzles, they're riddles, they're, you know, in the same mm -hmm. way improv is a game, you know, like, mm -hmm. so yeah, I can understand how it can feel like a lot of pressure to perform a certain way because that's the way we talk about performance in general mm -hmm. but i think restructuring it just to like yeah this idea of it's make-believe it's a game it's what can we do with the infinite number of things we can imagine yep yeah why do kids play pretend it's because they want to exactly. be in that world both for their own sake and like with another person or another group of people and yeah it's very similar and also because it's good for our brains to try out emotions in low-stakes situations and to practice problem-solving and to practice interpersonal communication. Those are all the things kids are doing. Those are all the things we're fucking doing as grown-ups. And guess what? We could still use to practice them. Like, we <laughs> yep. didn't just need to learn them once when we were eight. We still need to learn how to have feelings and how to talk to each other and make-believe. It's a mm -hmm. fucking fantastic way to do that. Yep. Totally agreed. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dildorks. Hope it inspires you to try something if you feel like trying something. Mm -hmm. I've been Kate Sloan. You can find me online at katesloan.com. I have a sex blog at girlyjuice.net. My partner just did a guest review for me of the Lovens Gush, which is a really cool Bluetooth compatible penis vibrator that you can use with or without an erection, uh, with or without a chastity cage on. It's really cool. You can check that out at girlyjuice.net. I also have a weekly paid newsletter at katesloan.email. The most recent one of those was about, uh, it was a list of things I've taken away from past relationships that were arguably better than the relationships themselves. So like Cute. a cool shirt that I took from a guy who didn't treat me very well or like a, a fondness for Amanda Palmer actually is on that list because mm. um, an ex was really into her. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice and you can check out my music on YouTube. My most recent song was kind of like a 80s pop disco vibe song about, called Maybe Later about like when you uh, are not ready to get into a new relationship yet. <laughs> Where is your stuff? First of all, I love that you phrased it like with or without a cat chastity cage <laughs> as if the default way of using a toy would be with a chastity cage even if you're not wearing a chastity cage you can still use the sex toy because everyone with a dick should just be in a chastity cage obviously i want default. people who anyway. don't wear cages to feel like they're normal too okay <laughs> anyway i'm billy lore uh i the porn and sex educator, but that's what we say early on. What the fuck do I say now? You can go to billylore.com to find all my <laughs> links. That's what I say. Uh, I have porn over there. I have 
my workshops. I'm teaching a couple times over the next couple of weeks. Um, I have a, uh, I think coming up this Sunday when this releases is Beautifully Bruised Booties, which is my impact workshop. Got a couple of the other uh, in-person and online workshops scheduled. So billylore.com for all that. Billylore on Twitter and Instagram. Together we're the Dildorks. We're at the Dildorks on Twitter and Instagram and at thedildorks.com. Patreon.com slash thedildorks is where you want to go to throw some money at us, help us keep doing this thing that we do, and get yourself access to our $6 Discord and our $12 Patreon-only bonus episodes. I want to say thank you to our top-tier Patreon supporters, Stabitha Christie, Argo, Nat, Amy, Amelia, and MB. We really appreciate your support. Thank you also to Protodome, who did our theme song. Thank you to Amy, who did our logo. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. It's got me. Oh, I think that was those were just sounds. Um, <laughs> I took my parents to a comedy night the other night at this mm-hmm. uh, venue in my city, which I won't reveal the name of it. And uh, they, that's not promising for the rest of the story. <laughs> and they asked me, like, "How do you know this place? Like, how did you hear about this place?" Mm-hmm. And I had to explain that. One time I went on a second date with a guy I was seeing and he took me there because he knew the owner and I later found out that he used to work there and had been fired for (laughs) allegedly stealing from the till. (laughs) (laughs) And so I developed a friendship with the owner of the venue um, and that relationship. I mean, I didn't find that out until like way later, but like... You then developed a friendship with the owner of the venue and received that information yes <laughs> he wasn't like hey i know you're on a date with this dude did you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have been yeah. more awkward <laughs> yeah no, I, when my parents asked me that i had to make the momentary calculation of like should i just be like i don't know just a friend runs it you know <laughs> like should i just say that instead <laughs> but i was like no i feel like they'll appreciate like the gossipy part of this story i they mm-hmm. did, i think that they found it perplexing but it's fine they enjoyed the That's comedy fine. yeah <laughs> And you got a good comedy venue out of the deal, which is the fun part. Yeah, it's great shit.